You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today on the show, I said we were going to talk about receivers. We're going to push that conversation to tomorrow because we had a little bit of breaking news yesterday that has enormous impacts on the Packers, not just their long-term future with contract situation, but also potentially this season this year. Right away in week one, even though it is not Packers related. And then in the second part of the show, I want to get into some of the ramifications in a little bit more of a macro sense for the Packers run game. What am I talking about? Did you miss it? Have you been living under a rock? Maybe you have. Adam Schefter reported on Monday, Dalvin Cook, the star running back for the Minnesota Vikings, will no longer be taking part in the offseason program and will not do so until he has a new contract. That means the digital offseason program is a no-go. It means once training camp opens, assuming that happens at some point this year, he will not participate until he has a new contract. And word from Adam Schefter and his ESPN colleague Courtney Cronin, who covers the Vikings, is that Cook wants something comparable or even north of what Christian McCaffrey got. He wants top-of-market money. Now, for the Packers, this has two prongs of impact because not only does it impact the Vikings potentially if Dalvin Cook holds out, is not on the field in Week 1, that has its own impact. And then Aaron Jones is going into the last year of his deal. Does Dalvin Cook getting a top-of-market deal encourage Aaron Jones to do the same? Does it encourage him to engage in some sort of holdout? These are questions the Packers have to ask. Now, for the Vikings, though, they have to decide if foregoing the millions of dollars that they would ultimately save by not signing Dalvin Cook and in his place playing someone like Alexander Madison or Michael Boone, neither of whom are characters in Hamilton, although they both sound like they should be, um, they're good players. And certainly Madison proved to be an extremely adept back last year, an explosive back, big, able to be an impact player in the passing game. So do you want to pay Dalvin Cook to carry your offense? Now, the Vikings might. They brought in Gary Kubiak. Mike Zimmer has already fired one offensive coordinator for not being run heavy enough. So the Vikings may 
try and find a way to make that work. They did trade Stephon Diggs, but they also reworked the deal for Kirk Cousins, and they're pushing up against the cap. They have to figure out what to do with Anthony Harris, who is going to be on the franchise tag in 2020 unless they can figure out something else to do with him. They've already had to make sacrifices like Everson Griffin on the cap, Xavier Rhodes, to try and clear space to make sure their team can be maximally efficient in terms of the money that they're paying. Can they justify paying top-of-market money to a running back? Well, from their standpoint, they're probably looking at it like Dalvin Cook is the offense. The flip side of that, and again, all these, these arguments are the same for the Packers with Aaron Jones. Can you get similar or comparable 85%, 80% of that production for a fraction of the price from a backup player? From the Packers' perspective, you are praying the Vikings pay Dalvin Cook. Make it difficult to improve the team around him and double down on a strategy that we know is less efficient and less effective. Paying a running back is just not an effective way to build your team unless you're getting him at you know a non-top-of-market contract. The Austin Eckler deal is probably right in the sweet spot of what you want to pay a good, useful running back. If the holdout makes it into training camp, it could affect the way Dalvin Cook is able to play in Week 1. This is a team, remember, that is incorporating a lot of new players Stephon Diggs is gone. They, they brought in Justin Jefferson in the first round. They signed Tajay Sharp. Those guys are going to have to be figuring out this offense. The offensive line is still a work in progress. How does Dakota Dozier and Garrett Bradbury and Brian O'Neill, how do those guys fit together? Is Pat Alfline unplayable? How does that coalesce together? Those are things they're still going to be figuring out. And then if Dalvin Cook's not in there, The timing and the rhythm of the offense may not be the same, and they are going to be adjusting on some degree, on some level, to what Gary Kubiak wants to be. Even though the bones of the offense are going to be the same, he's not going to have the same rhythm as a play caller. He's not going to stack plays the same way. He doesn't have the same understanding of the personnel. So it's going to be an adjustment. That works in the Packers' favor when they play the Vikings in Week 1. All of this turmoil and tumult is good for Green Bay because it makes it less likely that they'll be ready to play week one against a team that has more continuity. Even if the Packers aren't significantly better than they were last year, they beat the Vikings twice. And in the, in the case of the first game, dominated the start of that game and then mostly got dominated for the rest of that game, but were able to hang on to win with some timely plays by the defense. And in the second game, a similar sort of situation where Green Bay got the defense and, and pulled away late. That is something that you can replicate when the other team is still trying to figure out what its identity is offensively. Is Justin Jefferson ready to play week one as a rookie? Is he ready to be an impact player? Not just play, but be a a good player. And now you're trying to figure out if Dalvin Cook is a thing? That creates an opening, an opportunity for the Packers to succeed in ways that they might not have otherwise succeeded. Now, from their own perspective... 
if Dalvin Cook signs a top-of-market deal, if he's going to get $12, 14 $16 million, you know, if he's going to get $20 million, $20-plus million guaranteed, what does that do for Aaron Jones? Where does that put him? Where does he think he belongs in this conversation? Because he is a premier back. And he affects the passing game in a way Dalvin Cook doesn't. Now, he doesn't have to carry his offense in the same way. He doesn't have the same workload as a runner. But the offense in Green Bay is not any less predicated on Aaron Jones and his success. In fact, if anything, it last year was more predicated on it because when the passing game wasn't working, they went to Aaron Jones. The Vikings can rely on Adam Thielen. They could rely on Stephon Diggs. Well, this year they're going to rely more on Dalvin Cook, and I think that would be if you're you know, Cook's agent, you're saying, look, you need him now more than ever because you gave up on Stephon Diggs. You traded him away. Now you need Dalvin Cook. You need to lean on him even more. The Packers are not quite in the same position with Aaron Jones because they can say, okay, Aaron, um, Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon got this. And we like Dexter Williams, and we can always draft a running back. So if you don't want to play ball, we encourage you to go see what your market is. And this is the problem that Cook has, that Aaron Jones has, that Devontae Freeman is finding out right now, that Melvin Gordon has, that Todd Gurley had. The NFL has gotten smarter about running backs. They don't pay them the same way they used to. Le'Veon Bell got a huge deal, but every other running back basically has struggled to get what used to be considered market value for their services. Christian McCaffrey is a unique case. You have two outliers. They're the exceptions that prove the rule. Todd Gurley was an MVP candidate not too long ago, and he was he got cut this offseason and signed for a fraction of what his old contract was paying him for 2020. Melvin Gordon turned down a big deal from the Chargers and just signed for a fraction of what he was getting paid. Okay, Aaron, go out there and see what the market says you're worth because you might find out that you're Devontae Freeman. You might find out that you're Melvin Gordon. So wouldn't you rather sign the Austin Eckler deal, come back to a team that clearly knows how to use you, that wants you to be the focal point of the offense, that knows how to maximize you as the focal point of the offense, and maybe... You sacrifice not being the highest paid running back, not even being in that upper tier in order to do that. That's how the Packers are going to look for it because they want to be smart with their money, but they still want to get a good deal. And if you want to be smart with your money and you want to get a good deal on auto parts, Rock Auto is the place to do it. It can be so overwhelming if you need to buy parts for your car, makes, models. It is intimidating if you don't speak the lingo. If you don't know the deal, you feel like you're getting the short end of the proverbial stick. Chain stores have different prices for professional mechanics versus do-it-yourselfers. Why is that fair? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. They always offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing their prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do. Rock Auto is for everybody and does not require a membership or account login. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. 
Same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much? You're getting the same parts. Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. And if you're worried about how you're getting from here to there, there is no better way to get from here to there and to find out the right path for you than choosing the path of the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where you can make all that happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million of individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself what's your warrior and text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769 to find out. So I want to tie this in now to a discussion that's been had off and on all offseason. And and maybe we have spent enough time talking about other things that you've forgotten about it. But I saw this graphic on Twitter yesterday and it made me think of this discussion. The graphic was from Hayden Winks over at Roto World, uh, former analytics guy, um, you know, has worked uh, professionally in sports. And what he put together was this chart of passing versus running in neutral situations. So what does that mean? Well, in situations where the game winning percentage, so win probability is between 25 and 75%, non-blowouts, so they don't have no chance of winning and they're not assured of winning, and there's over two minutes remaining in the half. These are neutral situations. So where the, the most things would theoretically be available to an offensive play caller. Matt LaFleur can call whatever play he wants. What play does he choose to call? The Packers were the second most pass-happy team in the league in 2019. Only to the Chiefs, 62% of the time they threw in neutral situations. Now we can say some of that is, is Aaron Rodgers. And his willingness to change plays at the line, his willingness to use RPOs to turn runs into passes, even when it's not the most advantageous situation. But as we've talked about on this show before, the Packers, when they went to RPOs, actually had a good success rate relative to their regular play-action game. That Rodgers, by and large, was able to use RPOs effectively. Sure, they could be used more effectively. That's not the point that we're trying to get to here. I find it hard to believe, as the narrative has insisted, that the Packers are going to become some anachronistic type team, that they're going to become the early 80s Washington John Riggins teams, that that even they're going to become the mid-90s John Elway, Mike Shanahan teams. I just don't believe that's the case. And, and I don't believe it for a number of reasons, but this is one of them. They're going to go from the second most pass-happy team in neutral situations to a bottom five team. This is the same organization that just traded up in the first round for a quarterback when they had a future Hall of Famer already at the position. The same team that has invested in analytics and in advanced numbers that values the data, so to speak. In fact, right now they're hiring an analytics person because 
one of their analytics staffers is being promoted. They're expanding the team. That team is going to suddenly become run heavy. I just don't buy it. And and I know I had a tweet, someone mentioned this, that I had a tweet from draft night that, oh, you know, the, the Titans and the 49ers were two of the most run-happy teams last year, uh, and, and they both run versions of the same offense the Packers have been and, and will continue to run. Maybe that is just the plan now. That was a reactionary tweet. It was... Something that I'm sure, I mean, it also happened, by the way, at, at midnight. Um, and that was midnight their time. Maybe my time, it was a different time. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, probably after a couple whiskeys. So I, I don't want to have to stand by that tweet because I don't stand by that tweet. The more I've looked at it, the more that I've thought about it, the more that I have listened to Matt LaFleur talk and, and looked at what this offense can be. It just doesn't make sense to play that way. Now, do I think they want to use the outside zone to win games? Yeah. The outside zone sets everything up, and that's going to continue to be the case. But even when you look at the numbers last year, the Packers maximized Aaron Jones. We talked about that in the first segment. But when you just look at the raw numbers, Aaron Jones did not have, by a running back standard, any kind of monster season. I mean, 236 attempts is not a crazy high number. He had 1,000 yards and a 4.6 yard per carry average. That is solid. Not as good as, as what he had the year before. He led the league in, in average the two seasons prior, 5.5 up there all time in terms of average early in his career and still averages five yards per carry for his career. But if you look at the rushing numbers from 2019, Derrick Henry had 300 attempts. Aaron Jones was 15th in attempts. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know this, and and I was a little shocked when I found this out. David Montgomery, who started eight games last year, had more attempts than Aaron Jones. And he averaged 3.7 yards an attempt. Ugh. Ugh. The only people with as many or more attempts to average fewer yards per carry was Le'Veon Bell, 3.2 yards per carry. By the way, another cautionary tale for paying a running back. The thing that unlocked this offense was using Aaron Jones in the passing game, creating matchups for him against linebackers and safeties, and not just throwing smoke screens to him and little checkdowns and swing routes and Texas routes. No, slant and goes, plays down the field, corner routes, and, and running back flies, getting him down the field to be a, an explosive, dynamic part of this offense. That's where he's special. That's where he separates himself. That's where he is differentiated from guys like Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook doesn't do that. So the Packers, when you look at this offense, I don't think the fact that they added A.J. Dillon and drafted Josiah DeGuara, didn't add a receiver, is suddenly evidence when you look at the way they wanted to play in 2019, they want to play the way that helps them win the most games. And in the NFL, especially this season, they're, they, they're going to have to outscore teams. The defense is good, and I think the defense is going to be even better in 2020. But in games against the Saints and the Vikings and the Bucks and the Falcons and the 49ers, they're going to have to score a bunch of points to win. And that means not being able 
to be a more run-focused team because you're just not going to be efficient enough to do it. And I think Matt LaFleur has proven that he is a smart enough and an adaptable enough coach to understand that even in a perfect world, you know, the plan would be run the ball 25 times. That if you need to suddenly score points, that you have to find the best options for you to go do that. And that was actually last year when they had the most issues was when the run game wasn't working for whatever reason. Either the run game was getting stopped or the defense was giving up early points. You know, falling behind early to the Chargers was a problem. Falling behind early to the 49ers was a problem. And so they had to get out of their offense. They have to get better in that get-back offense situation. They have to get better throwing the ball. And we're going to talk about all of the ways they can do that when we go over the receivers tomorrow. Before we finish up here, I I just want to talk briefly about the NFL's guidelines that they released around social distancing and and locker room protocols. They put together, you know, a a proposal and and a set of guidelines that suggest, you know, they they want social distancing in the locker room. And basically what they want to do is minimize as much contact as they can outside of the field because you cannot social distance on the field. Now you can social distance on the sidelines when you're not getting reps. You can social distance in the locker room and on the training table, in the gym. You know, they're limiting workouts. It has to be small groups at the workout facilities, you know, doing your weight training and all of those things. And, you know, I, I'm of a couple different minds about this because on the one hand, it's a it's a tacit acceptance that it's really not safe to be back. And maybe that's being uncharitable because what you want to do is you want to reduce the touch points, literally, uh, the, the points at which you make contact. And so there are certain times on the football field, especially where you cannot avoid making contact. It is, after all, a contact sport. So you are going to have to play. If you're a receiver, you're going to have to be in close contact with a defensive back. If you're an offensive or defensive lineman, you are going to be in the grill of another player every single snap. Now, if you want to reduce the risk of spread, you are trying to social distance when you can. That part of it makes sense. And you need to have robust testing along with this. We're seeing you know, the guidelines in the NBA and Major League Baseball, at least their proposed guidelines about, okay, quarantine. If you test positive, you need two negative tests to get back out on the field. We're going to have to figure out exactly what the situation is going to be there. But if someone is on the field and they have it, they are they are risking everyone's exposure because once you're on the field, there just is no safe way to do the thing. There just isn't. So that is part of the inherent conflict that the NFL or any of these teams comes up against here. Because if, if a player has the coronavirus, the social distancing around him is going to help reduce the spread or the potential spread. But on the field, there is no way to do that. And you are putting other players at risk. This is the problem with doing this before there's a vaccine. Now, if you're, if you're satisfied that everyone can be as, as quarantined as possible, as safe as possible, and that, that players are going to do the right thing, coaches are going to do the right thing in terms of reducing their risk, 
You know, everyone here, they're consenting adults and they have to decide if it works for them. There's a lot of risk here. And and the NFL in putting forth these guidelines is basically saying, look, we know that there is risk. And our goal is to try and mitigate that risk. But the only place that that risk can be mitigated is outside of the white lines. Because once you step on the field, there just is no such thing as social distancing. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow with our discussion of the receiver position group. How can they find ways to be better? And how can they find ways to make Aaron Rodgers better? How can Aaron make them better? What roles could we see guys playing? Who might step up? Who could step down? Who could be the surprise cut? What is the pecking order going to be? All of that will be part of our conversation on the show Tomorrow, remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers at any time. You want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.